Hey, it's Farm Girl, and this is a Talk Farm to Me bonus segment featuring Farmer and California Almond Alliance President Aubrey Betancourt. You listen to the full episode, but these two issues Aubrey and I discuss were too good to leave out entirely. First, we talk about shipping and ports. Where are our almonds anyway? And how does the shipping crisis that started during the early pandemic affect them? In 2021 and now into 2022, we have an unbelievable amount of carryover. So real brief for your listeners, I mean, we all know about the shipping crisis and that we, you know, I was a fan of it too. I loved the memes. Hey, click my tracking number. It's pointing to a boat somewhere out in the Pacific, you know, there's your package. That was fun, but that was only the consumer side of the story. The exporter side of the story is very interesting. So during COVID, we saw about a 20% increase in demand for imported product. We weren't going to restaurants or going on vacation. We were buying stuff on Amazon and wherever else we were buying stuff from, which is awesome. But that amount of volume coming into our port system was immense and we were not capable of that. And so it caused a massive disruption in the sense of you had this new amount of volume coming in and an infrastructure that couldn't handle it, a workforce that couldn't handle it. We just weren't prepared for it. So what used to take a boat 15 days to leave Asia and arrive at LA Long Beach and unload and take off, typically in the, in the ag world, they would go up to Oakland, pick up an export and then head out. Now it's taking 50 days just to get from Asia into LA Long Beach and get unloaded. 50 days. And time is money, right? Traditionally, like I said, they would leave LA Long Beach, go up to Oakland, which is the largest ag export port in the United States, pick up product that's sold and deliver it. From the ag perspective, once the product is delivered, that's when the payment is received. So that's how the cash flow works on the, on the ag side. And that's how it works in the almond sector. When it's delivered in Asia. When it gets to the buyer, we are paid. So it's sold. So my product is sitting in the United States sold, gets on a boat, gets delivered. When it's received by the buyer, payment is deposited. That's the cash flow. We'll get to that part in a minute. So right now what's happened is these boats are taking so long. These empty containers three years ago you would deadhead them back and you maybe got 30 bucks a container. Now you're getting $30,000 a container because the demand for empties is so high because there's still more pro- The demand for product coming back in from overseas is still so high. So these boats are going, hey, fast nickels over slow dimes. Why go up to Oakland, wait longer, load up product that I'm going to then have to wait longer to go drop off somewhere else and another global port that is delayed only for me to get out of line, go pick up another. It's just it, the, the time is money aspect plays into their thought process in a lot of ways. So what's happening is they're loading, they're getting, when they finally get in, they unload, they'll take whatever empties they can get their hands on and get back and make two trips in the time it used to take, you know, take them to make one and they're making more money doing it. According to a CNBC investigation, between October and November 2020, Shipping carriers rejected 178,000 agricultural export containers worth more than $632 million. What ends up happening is a couple of things. One is it's created a shortage of empty containers in the United States. So even if you're trying to move product domestically, 
we don't have the equipment basically because those empties are getting snatched up and taken elsewhere. You end up also with product sitting here that's sold and it's not getting delivered. So you don't have a supply problem or a demand problem. You literally just have a middleman problem. And what happened on the cash flow side of that for my farmers in the almond world, we pay out, we have our handlers and processors. So the folks that take the raw product and turn it into other things, they provide cash flow to farmers in the form of pool payments. A couple times a year, they will do certain cents on the pound to provide operating capital throughout the year. And then after harvest, they deduct your pool payments and you get your, your net, you know, your net earnings off of your, off of your crop, right? What happened last year is everybody thought, okay, we, we see stuff starting to slow down, but we're confident stuff's going to get shipped. We're going to go ahead and make pool payments because we've got income from the 2020 crop that did get delivered. So we've got cash flow. So the processors and hullers and chillers floated capital last year to, to develop, to, to grow the 2021 crop. But then the 2021 crop didn't ship, not at the rate that it should have. And so payment wasn't received. And so now cash flow is tight to say the least. What used to be the lowest we'd ever heard of a pool payment being about 50 to 70 cents per pound. We're seeing letters saying, we're going to only give you 10 cents a pound and we aren't sure we're going to make your next three payments. Add on top of that, we're now entering into the most expensive year of farming between conflicts globally that's limiting supply of inputs like fertilizer and fuel. You also then have, you know, water in California is probably the most expensive it'll be. We're heading into a water crisis and a drought. We are in a natural drought as well. We are at Deadpool. Our reservoirs are just empty. We mismanaged our winter flow that we got. So we're going to end. Just yesterday, the governor put in an executive order. I've got water trading at $2,000 an acre foot that normally is like $300 an acre foot. It's going to be obscene. I will know. I just told someone before I got on the phone with you, I will know how many less farmers I have at the end of this year. It's inevitable. Does it cut back on production of almonds? I mean, almond trees are making almonds, right? So this kind of goes back to this living, breathing thing. And unlike a pistachio can actually be taken off water and and do really well. It's not great. No, no plant likes to be taken off water, but it can survive a dry spell. Almonds cannot. Almonds, you take them off water and they essentially render themselves impotent. They, they won't produce again. So the tree may stay alive, but it won't reproduce. So, you know, we're going to see orchards come out. We're going to see, you know, anybody who's got old orchards will probably pull them. If you've got young trees, you might pull them because it's going to take two or three years to recover from this, both from a water standpoint and I think a supply chain standpoint. And we don't hit, the reason that three-year mark is important is because almonds, you plant an almond tree today, you'll hit your first harvest in three years. So those are kind of the, the numbers we think about in terms of timeline. In June of this year, President Biden signed the Ocean Shipping Reform Act that resulted from the collaboration and efforts of agricultural exporters, retailers, and others, including Aubrey Betancourt in her role as the head of the California Almond Alliance. The passing of this legislation was a bipartisan and bicameral effort. Second to shipping issues is the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill is a package of legislation that has a tremendous impact on farmer livelihoods, how food is grown, and even what foods are grown. They call it omnibus legislation because it basically covers everything relating to farming, food, and the consumers who eat it. The Farm Bill comes around every five years, and it is up for renewal in 2023. 
So now everyone is weighing in on what this piece of legislation should and should not include. Earlier this year, Aubrey was in Washington, D.C., talking with Congress about the upcoming Farm Bill and what food companies want to see it include. Aubrey, as president of the California Almond Alliance, sat on a panel with others from PepsiCo, Danone, and Farmer Focus, a chicken company. Why were you invited to come and talk about the Farm Bill? So I was invited on a very interesting panel. It was all focused on what food companies want to see in the Farm Bill. So I would argue that, yeah, I have that. I've got some big food companies we all know and love in my membership, right? Blue Diamond, and you know, like I said, Mariani, which produces for Kirkland, right? For Costco. So I've got some names, everybody, household brands, which is great. But so I was up there really to kind of talk about what we want to see, you know, obviously what food companies want to see, but then what does that translate down to the ground for the farmer? And what, what in order for a food company to get what they want in the farm bill, do we need on the ground for the farmer to actually do that? And so it was really more of a sustainability panel, Uh, you know, coming from the specialty crop world, which traditionally doesn't have a big footprint in the farm bill. We have kind of gotten our camel in our nose under the tent here a little bit in the last few years because of trade issues and certain disaster programs. So we're looking to kind of flex a little more muscle in that space. I think for specialty crops, I would love to see some of our more traditional programs modernize. And this is again, a California perspective. I'd love to see them modernized to accommodate the opportunity for farmers to develop into specialty crops, not just Californians, but anywhere. If you want to go into niche or specialty or high value, you should have the opportunity to do it. And our farm bill should support you in doing that. And our farming programs should support our ability to do that. For us, what gets us excited about farm bill, because traditionally we don't, we like to kind of grow outside of traditional market programs and things like that. We like the free market. We tend to blow everybody out of the water just based on statistics. But one of the areas that gets us very excited is the conservation chapter. And with my background with a water expertise, I know that chapter very well. I would love to see certain things changed in there on CRP. CRP is the Conservation Resource Project of the USDA's Farm Service Program. It basically offers incentives for farmers to remove certain land from production, to grow native species and cover crops, to conserve water and prevent soil erosion. In a nutshell. To provide us some flexibility in land management and resource management that could provide us some flexibility and some opportunity to achieve some of these sustainability goals, both for ourselves as farmers to give us a chance to let the the resource serve us, to recover in service in certain ways, uh, and to hit some of these goals that are being put on us by our, you know, consumer and our food processors, so food companies. So I was really there to talk more about that, that chapter of it, but, you know, I really just wanted to kind of draw the conclusion of we have to make sure we have alignment between what the public wants what the private companies need and want and what our policies and programs and laws allow for us to do. We're moving very quickly in this space. I want to make sure it all is aligning so that the farmer gets the resources and the credit. I'm providing guidelines, really. I, I, I can get into nitty gritty specifics. And I, I did, I got asked that after the fact, because I just kind of stayed high level, but you know, I could get into it. I want to see shorter CRP contracts. We're inheriting 10, my guys in the Midwest, my buddies out there, they're like, dad died and I'm trapped in a 10 year contract with the federal government. I don't want, we need to modernize that. Okay. Let's open, let's open that up and get our contracts shortened up to four or six years to give us some flexibility, give us off ramps so we can get out. 
you know, I would love, and I know this freaks out the Midwest, I would love to see CRP opened up for irrigated land rental rates. Right now it doesn't do that. So yes, that eats up a large part of that budget. I don't want anybody else's money. Give me new money. Like let's, let's get a newer pot to pilot this and see if it works. That's going to help not just California. It's going to help the entire Colorado basin from the Dakotas to Arizona. Who needs those resources? Because the Colorado has been in a 20 year drought. You know, I would love to see one of the things that I run into. And I know I hear this from, I've got a really good friend. You should, I'd love to have you meet her. She's the director of water resources in North Dakota. She and I talk a lot about how our state programs don't let you be enrolled in federal programs on conservation. So if you're involved in NRCS's EQIP on an irrigation conservation project on your property and you go to apply for a state grant, you're automatically kicked out. NRCS is the Natural Resources Conservation Service, a department of the USDA that provides technical assistance to farmers. So you have to choose. Do you want the state grant or do you want to stay in NRCS? We've got to get more, you know, to me, if you don't want to give more money, you've got to let the money leverage. So that's both a state project for me and a federal project for me. So these are those kind of priorities that, that we were talking about out there last week. That's the bonus material, folks. I'd love to talk to Aubrey and other farmers, too, about the farm bill between now and when it is re-upped in 2023. It's a big deal, and I think that we, the public, understand very little about how it works and what it impacts. It's super complicated. Are you interested in that? If you are, drop me a note. I will leave my email in the show notes, or you can find me through Instagram at xoxofarmgirl. I hope that you found this conversation with our farmer, water expert, and almond advocate as interesting as I did. Stay tuned for next week's episode and more bonus content as it comes up. I'm your host, Farm Girl, and this is Talk Farm to Me.